0: Hey, this is Melissa, creator and founder of Fempreneur, and you're listening to Fem Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Fem Radio podcast wherever podcasts are found so that you can be notified when each episode goes live. Anna Lippman is the founder of Courageous Cleanse Coaching. Through her work, she provides guidance to women on their journey of personal development and transformation within relationships. Her Courageous Cleanse program allows clients to discover their highest level of self, allowing them to heal and strengthen their relationship with themselves and others. For nearly 10 years, Anna's personal development journey helped cleanse toxicity and dependencies from her life. Her firsthand experience led her to help others along the same path. Anna Lippman is a certified professional coach and a certified life coach through the International Coaching Federation. She earned her bachelor's degree from New York University. I learned a lot while recording this episode with Anna Litman. For starters, I learned that life coaching is something that everyone should really go through. Even reaching out to therapy to have conversation with someone, just trying to identify with what your issues are internally and what you're looking for in your life is a very spiritual person, and through her experiences, she's built a company that she really is proud of, and through the conversation that I had with her, I learned so much about being able to reinvent yourself, rebuild after times of struggle, and she really is someone who turned herself around and is sharing her life with others and sharing her experiences with others through her coaching business courageous clients and bride eyed her other business where she meets directly with brides and ensures that they live in the moment on their wedding and don't waste their time harping on the negative so i hope you'll listen to this episode you'll rate and review us and please let us know what you think thanks Hello Femme Radio listeners. We have Anna Lipman here with us today. Anna, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Where do you live now?
1: I'm currently living in New York. Um, I uh, live on the Upper East Side and I'm originally from Colorado by way of Los Angeles. Interesting. Colorado by way of Los Angeles. What does that mean? Um, when I was nine, my family moved to LA. Um, we were ski bums and uh, lived in Vail, And I had like a great childhood. And um, we moved to LA where I did kind of the bulk of my adolescence. And then moved to New York when I was 20. That's
0: really cool. So your business is called The Courageous Cleanse, and you launched it in January. Um, your business plan grew from personal experiences. So can you tell us a little bit about how
1: you got here? I was 21 and needed to have a radical change in my life, uh, dropped out of school, uh, had no kind of future prospects, and things got out of hand, and it led me to recovery, and I ended up getting sober. So 2010 was like where I embarked on my journey of recovery. Four years into that, everything on the outside seemed like it was all really, really great. I had my family back. I had I graduated from NYU. I had kind of everything, my own apartment, I had a great job, everything seemed on the outside, like it was working in my favor, and really everything that I had wanted and everything that I had lost, I had gotten back. Um, Four years into recovery, I found that I really was almost worse off spiritually, mentally, physically, and I hit another bottom um, within myself that I needed to get, yet again, recover from, Mm -hmm. um, specifically around relationships with men. It was something I hadn't resolved, Again, getting into recovery at 21, you did. A lot of, I made a lot of mistakes up until about 25, and as far as men were concerned, seeking relationships, looking for love in all the wrong places, seeking validation. Um, I had very low self-esteem, even like despite having kind of everything on the outside looking really perfect, mm-hmm. um, but I was really a shell of myself, and and seeking kind of this outward validation that I could not find within myself. So. So I woke up on my on my bathroom floor in tears and said like I really got to change something um, I was chasing after a guy who I just was unsavory and there was another back burner guy and this other guy was texting me and that and I think some of us have all been there and um, you know I just got to a point where I realized that I was the common denominator in all the relationships that I was in It wasn't all their fault it was that I put them first and put me second and I I got to a point where I didn't even know what my favorite color was. Um, So I had two options, I could either go drink again, lose everything I had, or change. And so I took the principles that I had learned in recovery and I said, look, I just need to take away the substance for 90 days. I just need to just get to know myself, just bear down on my recovery. I just need to get myself focused on what really matters and save my own life. It was really coming down to that. Um, and by eliminating men and doing what I called later on my man cleanse, I really slept in my own bed for 90 days. I journaled every day. I created a self-care regimen, um, a little bit of yoga, which I wasn't a yogi, mm-hmm. so <laughs> I'm still not. Um, but I really just kind of figured out who Anna was. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of it, what I found was this inner peace, um, a spiritual connection that I had lacked for four years before, um, and just a sense of self that... You know was so foreign but so comfortable mm-hmm. i felt like i was really again that like little girl skiing and dancing and rock climbing and whatever the cool stuff i did when i was little um, i got to be that girl again yeah um and then newly lease on life and shortly after i met my now husband um and not to say that that was the goal but had i not taken this time to get to know myself i wouldn't have recognized Someone like him, who was really just a reflection of who I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I found what I call he's he's my alien. He's this crazy, weird, bizarre human <laughs> that came out of nowhere. Um, wasn't my type, wasn't who I wasn't my plan, wasn't who I thought was, but was my soul's equal. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the, the spiritual work was really critical. Um, I really had to talk to the universe and get specific on what I thought I wanted, what I didn't want what I was looking for and then it was served up to me in this beautiful way through this man that you know today is my biggest support Um, so that's that's the long version of it and the the nitty-gritty of it yeah that's kind of where it came from if I were to
0: ask you what do you think on on that particular 90 day cleanse that was so specific in sort of helping you find yourself and, and being able to sort of take yourself into becoming your better version of yourself what would it what would it be
1: I think the biggest thing that I got out of it was it wasn't as bad as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. That the person I made up in my head really, in fact, was somebody that didn't exist. I want to say this was the easiest thing. It was automatic. It was blissful. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. It was actually one of the hardest things I ever did. And in that struggle, I really found out what I was made of. And when I put my mind to something and when my, and again, I, I just don't say this lightly, but when my life is at risk, I mean, me drinking again leads me, you know, drinking again leads me a place, a dark, to a dark place, you yeah. know? So in that struggle, I found that life was worth living mm-hmm. and I found that I was worthwhile and that the girl that I was hiding from was really the girl I was all along and someone that needed to be set free. Yeah, that was really what came out of it and yeah sleeping in my own bed and Sometimes crying myself to sleep at night sometimes journaling Journaling I have to say was probably the biggest tool that I use and I do use with my clients Mm -hmm. um, Because it's the reflective Where I was in that day and what was one of the beautiful things that I found that came out of it is the first part of my Journal I held with my fist and I carved my feelings into the paper almost cry because I was just in so much pain and by the end of my cleanse, I was almost in this, like, beautiful, light calligraphy mm-hmm. and had this levity in how I felt about myself and how I saw and my perspective had shifted incredibly. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it's as, it was as if two people had wrote in the same journal. Yeah. Um, and that trajectory and seeing that change, I think, also helped me progress. I said, oh, I was here, and look how much pain I was in. Well, look where I am now. Mm-hmm. And I journaled every single day. It's like therapeutic
0: in a sense. and they Absolutely. Also holds you accountable because then you have to go back and, and write things down and sort of own up to how you felt that day. Mm-hmm. So with Courageous Cleanse, you work with a number of different women to help them understand their value, their inner selves, and most importantly, how to love themselves. So there might be women right now listening to this thinking, I love myself. I think I'm great. It's men that have an issue. Men suck. Um, what makes them a perfect candidate for you?
1: So I think that most women who find themselves dissatisfied with the status quo in their relationships are perfect candidates. What I try to help them do is uncover what works and what doesn't. They might be CEOs of a company, they might be the most efficient you know, graduate student, they, they might be killing it in life, in one part, and the relationship part, they just keep seeing these patterns over and over. Mm-hmm. Men might suck, sometimes they do. Um, <laughs> But what, what I try to do is find out where their sense of worth comes from, um, where their love model comes from. Most of us have some sort of, we were raised in some sort of environment where love was modeled or not. Mm-hmm. So how are we filtering that love model into the relationship that we're seeking moving forward? So you might have all the confidence in the world. I, I didn't. But I have, client, I have one client currently, she's an attorney, she's starting her own nutrition business, like she's... For all intents and purposes, killing it. Mm-hmm. But she keeps ending up with the same type of relationship over and over and finding herself alone and finding herself in a place of despair and finding herself in this perpetual state of discomfort. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't if I could promise a husband, I would be a zillionaire. I can't. But what I can promise is a deeper understanding of who you are as a as a woman, as who you are as a contributor to society and And really just help you see what someone else can also reflect back at you. Mm. So again, men can suck all they want. How are you going to shift in that environment? Yeah. How do you show up for yourself in such a way that attracts men who don't suck? Mm. And again, this is not also, and I'll throw this in there, this isn't necessarily limited to men and women. Mm. I think it goes both ways. It's just whatever partner you are seeking, I want you to find the souls equal and the souls counterpart, and I think that to me is is really where it is. It's not about I'm perfect, they're not. Mm-hmm. I'm different, they're not. And what that journey looks like for them. Yeah. So what's involved in an 90-day cleanse for a
0: client of yours? You know, what does that journey look like?
1: So typically, I always do a free consultation, make sure that I'm a fit for them and they're a fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I tell have them tell me their story, have them tell me their woes or what's really ailing them or what they'd like to work on. Um, We then commit to about four months together. So I give them about two to three weeks of prep time, Mm -hmm. and then the cleanse begins. So that prep time really involves figuring out what that love model is. Um, We then just go about what your ideal partner is, all the things you think you want, all Mm -hmm. the things that your parents want you to have, all the things that society wants you to have, and all the things that you really look for in a partner. That can be anything from religious beliefs to height to shoe size to bank account to charitable contributions to whatever that meaningful spiritual connections, all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So we write that list. Then I tell them, well, in what ways are you that person? And what that does is define what I call your top lines. Mm -hmm. Your top lines are your highest self. We identify what your true self is and what your intention is Mm -hmm. through your ideal partner. Because ultimately, like I said, I think your ideal partner is a reflection of actually who you are. So once we uncover what that is, it's your top lines. Beyond that, we then scale your previous partners in chronological order, and what events and what behaviors were indignant of that relationship. Interesting. So if it's texting Rex in the middle of the night to instigate a fight, if it's, you know, sleeping with someone who was abusive, or if it's it's any, and we all have our own unsavory behaviors, and yeah. I say unsavory because it's like, I don't want to talk about it with my parents. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> But it's, it's, it's behaviors that, that make us feel that depleted feeling. Mm-hmm. So we chronologically outline who it, when we did that with. Those become our bottom line behaviors. So when we look at top and bottom line, we can automatically see like, oh, I'm acting in a bottom line right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to that bar and I'm going to go see that guy because mm-hmm. I know he's going to call me the next day. And I don't really like that guy, but the guy's going to you know, say that I'm really cute and call me the next day. And maybe we'll hook up and maybe we won't. But he's not my person. Mm-hmm but he's my right now so maybe not going to that bar right so the cleanse part is really cleansing the bottom line behaviors and cleansing the people that trigger us the most yeah um and then once that's established as we go through um a regimen of what your top lines are what do you like to do again i didn't know what my favorite color was not a clue didn't have any hobbies didn't know what i wanted didn't know what i like to read and we really try to investigate what highlights your top lines. Yeah. So if you are passionate about art, how many museums are you going to a month? Um, if you want a more connection with your family, how many outings are you creating? Or how many mm-hmm. barbecues are you having? How much time do you spend with your mom? Things like that yeah. that really highlight the best part of yourself so that we blot out and really eliminate what the bottom lines are doing. And, and a lot of times our bottom lines are reflective of our love model. So they're really, really strong. They're our default sometimes. Mm -hmm. And if we can really exercise the top lines, the bottom lines get weaker and less prevalent. So we spend the next 90 days really practicing. And every week I talk to my clients, I tell them to journal every night, Mm -hmm. just as it helps me, we go through the week, we say what our top line behaviors were, we talk and discuss about what the bottom line's behavior, we adjust accordingly, and I really walk them through week by week how to support them getting to their highest self. I think it's important
0: too, and you probably see this every day with women getting probably frustrated in the process because it's so hard to, you know, you sort of have to understand from like an outsider's perspective. Like, I, you know, when I have conversations with my boyfriend, he's like, I don't know why you feel this way about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you have to understand this is 28 years of feeling this way. Exactly. So, as much as I'm noticing it now and I'm trying to change, like it's very difficult to change twenty eight years of behavior in a month. I would say that that's almost even an incentive to want to work with someone like you because you're reinforcing, and that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you, that's your trade. This is what you're good at. Um, you know, and you can't always rely on a significant other to give you all the points to right. you there.
1: And that's the other part too is that I'm always um, try my best to be as objective, and impartial, and compassionate as I possibly can. I've yet to find a scenario that I've Either not experienced myself, mm-hmm. not done myself, um, so I always try to be a safe space for my clients, yeah. but also a little bit of tough love. You know, I I feel that my experience really says like, is this really serving you in this mm-hmm. moment? And sometimes they don't want to hear that. And I'm I'm confident in my business and what I can do and my coaching that I'm not taking it personally. If you're yeah. mad at me? That's great. I'd yeah. rather you be mad at me than act out in an unhealthy way. Um, and I don't think it's the responsibility of the partner I think that our partners sometimes are expected to fill a void and be everything in each relationship and what I found with my relationship with my husband is we have parallel lives we share everything but there are times when I have no idea what he's up to Mm -hmm. and I have this incredible trust that he has his own life and he's filling his own experience and has nothing to do with me And I'm not as insecure as I used to be. And that, I think, was one of the biggest things that's immediately reflected in my current relationship. I was that girl, where are you? Who are you with? What's going on? How come you're not with me? I was constantly up the guy's butt. And in this relationship, I have learned to hold my relationship with my hands open Mm -hmm. so that he can fully be himself and I can fully be myself. And that's, I think, the crux of it is I was always showing someone else who I thought they wanted me to be. yeah. I remember dating a guy, loved baseball. Don't love baseball. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, oh, no. I really don't. But I would manipulate myself to, I would fit a mold of what I thought they wanted. And then I expected them to fill the void that I didn't have. Yeah. I wanted them to make me happy. I wanted them to make me feel pretty. I wanted them to validate me in a way that that's too much on a person. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really just too much to expect so if I can accept someone for who they are and it's not always easy and and it's not giving someone an excuse for being a shitty person either but how do you coexist in a parallel relationship and share things and support each other without being so embedded and so ingrained that you lose who you are
0: yeah you know I think that's a it's a very
1: good point it's It's difficult, but that's why you're here. (laughs) And that's also what I will add to that, too, is, you know, I currently, and really where my business has gone in the last few months, is I am working with women who are seeking relationships. mm -hmm. However, I am finding that there are women who are currently in relationships that need support. They might have found their person. They might Mm -hmm. be with the greatest guy, the greatest girl in the whole wide world, but how do you then, once you're in the relationship, how do you sustain the relationship? Yes. How do you remain your individual self and your mm-hmm. highest self within that? And it's very hard. So I do support clients once the 90-day cleanse is over, let them get into their relationship, and I'm still there to to keep them on point and to keep them where they need to be to be in that partnership. Mm-hmm. So that's another kind of new part of my business. But again, it's, it's kind of that transition period of how do you maintain what we did together yeah
0: I'm, I'm curious as to just now in terms of where the world is going and the incessant use of social media and you know and how that affects hmm. relationships and, and this you know the level of you know insecurities among you know both men and women but just in terms too of like how everything is out there. So even if you want to be someone who doesn't care about things, you're sort of like forced to care about them because your friends do or you're getting questions. So how many times are you helping your clients really battle the judgments of the people around them? And at what point do you tell someone that maybe who they're surrounding themselves with is is toxic and probably needs to be?
1: So what I have found is that with the work that we do together, if it if they are all in and they are a yes, and they are really putting in the work, because what you put in is what you will get out. Mm-hmm. Again, I cannot snap my fingers, click my heels, and turn around and snap three times and make the person appear, or yeah. make it better, right? It's a lot of work. Um, what i found is that many of the clients will start automatically filtering out people that aren't aligned with their relationship purpose or whatever yeah. their life purpose is. So for me... I haven't had to confront anyone and say, "Mm, that person's not really supporting you. It Mm -hmm. happens organically. Yeah. Because when you become your higher self, you start to attract other people who are their higher selves Mm -hmm. and people who judge or people who are jealous or people who who undermine what you're doing, those relationships kind of fall apart on their own. So I think that helps. And the internet thing, which I think is interesting, I feel that with online dating, we have a much harder time of connecting, you know, in real life. Yeah. However, I do think that we are taking an old model of what dating looks like. The courting, that he should reach out first, mm-hmm. he needs to sweep me off my feet, he needs to do X, Y, and Z. Those rules don't apply to this new game. Yeah, I think that there's no rules. Reach out. And that's what I always tell my clients and even my girlfriends. Just text him. Just reach out. Tell him who you are. Mm-hmm. Be really blunt. If he's not into it, he's not your person. Yeah. There's no I really dislike and I get annoyed with this like whole he the rules that people seem to follow. Yeah. He's made up, but these are rules from like 1950. Yeah. They just don't exist and and we live in an age where people are meeting online. I think there's nothing wrong with meeting online. I just think that we need to update how we approach dating. Yeah. And and really just be our true selves. I mean, <laughs> My second date with my husband, we met through, we were, we were um, set up by friends, and um, on my second date, we're playing ping pong, and the poor guy is just swatting the paddle and listening, and I just let him have it. And I said, I'm like, I'm not looking for some guy who wants to go find himself in five years. I want a husband. I want kids. I want to go on adventures. I want to travel. I want to eat crazy foods. Mm-hmm. And I just let him kind of have it. And he said it was really jarring. <laughs> but, but I just let it all hang out. And yeah. if he didn't ask me on a third date, then that was the risk I was willing to take. I'm not saying you should sabotage the relationship, <laughs> but I rather I rather go all in, yeah, than than play by the rules that 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 aren't really relevant anymore. Yeah. So, no, I agree with that.
0: I agree with that. I do think it's so funny when I like speak to my friends that are on my like, or they're on like Bumble or Tinder or anything and I'm like oh you've been you know going back and forth with that guy for like a few weeks now you're going to meet him she's like well he hasn't asked yet I'm like then ask him like yeah. go out to dinner what's you know here you are wasting your time right going back and forth via it's, you're essentially on like aim right <laughs> right <laughs> but why is training women on, on self love and educating them on self love so important to you
1: it's important because... I think of it as like sharing food. You know, when you make something or you enjoy something, you always want to share it. My, mm-hmm. um, I, I have this incredible relationship. I have this incredible sense of self. I started this business because of the person I became after the cleanse. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I want to share it with others. And I think that you have to give it away to keep it. Um, so I feel that there, I have a duty to... empower women in the way that I was able to get through this and and again I didn't do this on my own Uh, I had so much support I I created a network of friends I I really worked hard I had my support at my recovery I I feel a duty to help women have the life that I have or have the experience or have the the self love that I have Mm -hmm. Um, it's not every day, but it's if I can have someone at least feel an iota better or lead them to healthier behaviors or help them see themselves more clearly then I've done my job
0: yeah so I know you mentioned earlier that you can get a free consultation but how would someone get started you know if a listener is like this actually seems like something I really want to do Mm -hmm. um, what's their first step
1: so I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Courageous Cleanse um, I'm also CourageousCleanse.com, and the best way is to just book online. I have a big, giant booking button on the right-hand corner, and just book a time slot with me, and I usually can get you in within the first 24 hours. That's probably the easiest way. Um, our consultation's about 30 minutes, um, so I jump on a call with you or a Skype call. I use Zoom. That's really kind of the easiest way to get a hold of me.
0: So I ask everyone on the show this question of who is your ideal femme? So it can be a personal celebrity, but just that all-around person that you see as a trailblazer mm-hmm. um, and a real role model.
1: I always think of my grandmother. Um, she was one of those sassy. she was um, she was a mix of Katherine Hepburn, um, a feisty German Jewish lady um, who who, like, despite all the things... She survived the Holocaust, and despite everything that she did, you know, two years after the war, had a baby, moved into a new country, had a husband, and created a life, became a sociologist, and just kind of persevered no matter what. Um, So I had the privilege of, you know, having a really strong woman and a really strong role model. Um, And she looked awesome all the time. (laughs) You know, she just was this powerful woman and this powerful force, and I always think about her and um, I hope that I make her proud and you know she she was a feminist yeah, I have a wonderful picture of her uh, marching on Washington Wow. and you know I just hope I make her as proud as she makes me yeah and she was just pretty pretty cool that's awesome badass <laughs> yeah.
0: if you've listened up to this far you'll have learned how Anna helps women find their better selves and really identify with their top line behaviors So now we're going to switch gears and talk about Anna's business, Bride-Eyed, where she helps women really be where their feet are on their wedding day. Anna, we spoke about your business, Courageous Cleanse, how you work with women to promote self-love and the ultimate personal journey, Uh, but you also work with brides to train them to be fully present during their wedding day with your business, Bride-Eyed. So why was this particular thing so important to you?
1: So my wedding day was the best day of my life. I was elated, happy the whole day, uh, from five in the morning when I woke up (laughs) until until I passed out at the end of the day. Um, And I found that being a bride is much harder than I thought. It was isolating. It was hard. I all of a sudden was the CEO of my life in a way I'd never been. I was the ultimate decision maker. I had to implement this vision. I had to coordinate these people. There's so much pressure that I created and I worked very hard so that my wedding day was the day that it was. Mm-hmm. So with Bride Eyed, as I said, I really want to help women go through the engagement process so they don't miss their wedding day. I've I've run into a number of brides who said, I did all this planning, I worked really hard, and the wedding wasn't what I wanted. And I, and that's a shame. Yeah. If you I mean, look, if you spend six dollars on your wedding or six million dollars on your wedding, that's irrelevant. But no matter what you've created especially with the person you're going to marry it should be the greatest day of your life and i don't want brides to miss out because they are worried and stressed and bogged down by what they think might be important or how they think they're going to be judged or how they think that their their life will be forever altered yeah. because the napkins weren't correct <laughs> and you really get and i found that you really you lose hours of sleep stressing over the minutia that on the wedding day doesn't matter yeah and, and not to say that doesn't matter that's the wrong way to say it, but you're there to be to marry your person yes and I just want to assist women be that on that day mm-hmm. so ideally I will work with a bride a year up to their wedding and my kind of favorite time is about eight months out from wedding day uh, I will go as close to uh, wedding day as five weeks um, that's really my crunch time where we speak weekly, mm-hmm. we work on meditation, and mantras and scheduling, and I work with brides. Say their family lives far away, I will go help them with appointments. I, I'm basically the objective handhold. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a wedding planner, I'm a wedding coach, so if they have a wedding planner who does flowers and all the stuff, great. I'm here just to solely work with the bride. Yeah. Um, I do a couple's call. Um, if the groom is having his own feelings about it, we can always get together and kind of talk through their concerns. Mm-hmm. You're managing a huge amount of people, a huge amount of personalities, a huge amount of expectations, a huge amount of money. Yeah. So what I do is I really just help them kind of navigate how to be the best selves on their wedding day and really coach them through each step of the way so that they can be present. Mm-hmm.
0: So what do you feel like brides do in particular in their preparation for their wedding that possibly takes them away from being fully present
1: on that day? Focus on the negative. Mm-hmm. I think that when you get to your wedding day, I think when they get to their wedding day, many brides focus on what hasn't happened, what might happen that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And really get caught up in the control. As a New Yorker, and probably many of your listeners are New Yorkers, we're ready, get go, I want this to be done, it needs to look a certain way, and getting caught up in that minutia really takes you out of the experience. Yeah. So I think that it's the control on the day and focusing on, well, this person didn't show up, or this flower isn't right, or this thing is gonna happen, or... <laughs> I mean it rained on my wedding day, and we had a whole outside wedding, we had a whole... Huge Memorial Day weekend, grass from far as the eye could see, and it poured the whole weekend. But what came out of that is that we were able to switch the venue, put everybody inside, and it turned out to be exactly where we were supposed to get married. Yeah. You know, so it's really that, like, you know, the day I prayed for a year (laughs) for no rain, and it rained, and there was nothing I could do. Actually, I'll quote my friend. Um, at her wedding, she had this beautiful wedding in Rhode Island. Stunning dress, beautiful ceremony. They get on the golf cart and her train gets stuck in the wheel of the dress and rips a giant hole in the train. A oh. giant hole in the middle of the wedding. No. Just the reception hadn't started, cocktail hour hadn't started, a giant hole in this beautiful silk dress. All of us bridesmaids are losing our mind and we're freaking out. And then, the then, can can. Can't <laughs> get the sewing kit. really And my bride, she said, she goes, you know, she's like, well, I let out an expletive and then I decided I'm not going to let this ruin my perfect day. Yeah. And that was really, I think, the crux of this business that rain, shine, rip dress, it shouldn't ruin it because Mm -hmm. it's this magical, wonderful day of love. Yeah. So. Wow.
0: That's, that's funny. I was actually at a wedding last weekend. Um. So beautiful, like, just a completely stunning wedding, and I like, came to find out that it was the bride's parents' backyard, and we thought it was just like a farm they rented for the day or something, but it was absolutely stunning, and we got through the ceremony, we're all going to the cocktail hour, they do the father-daughter dance. Uh, mom and the, and the groom get up and dance and it starts monsooning the most powerful rain I've ever seen like coming from all angles underneath the tent so I'm looking at my boyfriend like this is what a way to cap off the day and the bride just started laughing and
1: I'm like what is happening here like it's everyone's like, so happy you make the best of it and it's you can either let it grow in it or you can really make it special yeah, sure. I didn't have napkins the morning of my wedding and apparently, I didn't know this until after, but no one ordered our napkins. Oh, nice. So someone had to, like, at 3 o'clock in the morning, open up a warehouse and, like, drop off 200 napkins <laughs> <laughs> that morning. Wow. So it's like, it's like, look, shit happens. Yeah. If you're going to let that stuff affect your day, okay. But you have a choice if not. And I just want to be there, be this impartial, objective supporter to get them through it. It's also so funny <laughs> to
0: think of all the moving parts on a wedding day. like all the people who are all hands on deck
1: to make something happen and then
0: for anything to happen
1: well the one thing i will say i always tell my brides i I had a bride recently and her wedding planner was was challenging and she had a destination wedding so it was in a different state Mm -hmm. so she felt out of control the whole time she was really anxious there was a lot of moving parts things didn't seem done on the right time schedule and it was a little chaotic um and i said to her i said there's something magical that happens on a wedding day. People show up as their best selves mm-hmm. and things that couldn't possibly get finished, those little tiny details, those little things that you thought couldn't get done, magically happen. Yeah. I call them the little wedding fairies. They just swoop in and they take care of stuff. And, and I don't know how it happens. I don't know who those people are, but inevitably they always just make it work. And, mm-hmm. and I always say just trust in the magic... Wedding fairies <laughs> <laughs> to swoop in when we need them, you know. And I always kept telling her, "It'll work out. It'll get done. And yeah. if it does, I didn't toss my bouquet. We forgot. We just didn't didn't happen. Just this didn't terrible. happen. We wanted to do it, didn't work. And the wedding was still great. Yeah. So it, it it's just kind of how you. It's all about perspective. And Absolutely. If, and if I can give him a different perspective or an easier perspective, then then that's that's a pat on my back. Yeah. So
0: what are some things you want our listeners to know about your bridal coaching business specifically?
1: It's all going to be okay. That it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to delegate. Um, I also want them to know that with a bride coach, there can be, there's a solution to every problem. Mm -hmm. And by having a bride coach, you can have someone. Again, I think that what's unique about my business is I'm... I'm happy to join. The thing about my business is, I'm not part of the wedding. I'm just there for the bride and the groom. Um, so, I think for me, what I want listeners to know is, you can have someone impartial, objective, and someone looking from the outside in to really help with that perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I do offer is I do do day of consultations where either I'll talk to the bride early in the morning. I recently had a bride at the plaza, and we did a little meditation with her bridesmaids. We oh, did a little wow. grounding before the wedding, um, and we had this like really nice little morning to kind of get her in the, get her head in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do offer this kind of support that that comes with no strings attached. You know, I I have no. There's so many people that have agendas at weddings because, you know, your parents and your you know new in-laws and your aunts and your uncles and the friends and everybody is invested in the wedding. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm invested in the bride. And that's ultimately that I want them to know that they have an ally in me and that they have someone to cry to, to lean on, to ask those crazy questions in the middle of the night, to to really just lean on and, and not feel judged or not feel overwhelmed yeah um, so that's really there's a couple parts to that but but that they have support and that I can really facilitate in a way that comes without the the expectations that mm-hmm. you know and I don't mean to say but I don't really care about the wedding yeah. I just care about the state of the mind of the bride yeah And I think that's an important
0: thing that you just have the state of the mind of the bride because everyone's always concerned about like the look of the bride Like, if she's happy with the way that she looks, if her dress is okay, if her makeup's okay, if her hair's okay, but no one's ever really like, how do you feel mentally this morning? Like, are you, are you ready to go? Is this, you know,
1: what mental state are you in? Yeah. My, my focus is the mind, body, and soul of the bride. That's really where I feel that I bring the most value and the most support is just to make sure that she, that she has her head in the game, Mm -hmm. that she's okay and that she's going down the aisle in, in the most present, but the, but the I mean, again, just her best self. Yeah. So, so if I was a bride, when would yeah. I contact you for assistance? I would work with a bride a year up to wedding day. Mm-hmm. Um, then we, we would spend, once a month we would check in on certain milestones, um, but eight months is really kind of when you kick back into decision-making. So once... Once the decisions start happening again, um, I would like to work with them at that point. And then again, five weeks before wedding day um, is really when crunch time happens. Mm-hmm. So any time, kind of within that eight eight months um, or that five week period, just because that's really when you know you're <laughs> when things <Yeah>. happen. So <laughs> when,
0: when you start to realize that the DJ you booked is no longer right, oh. exactly.
1: <laughs> Our and I'll tell you another story. Our um, Three weeks before our wedding, our cake order got canceled. We had to scrap the whole wedding cake and start from a different baker. And how does that even happen? It just happens, you know. And that's the other thing that like stuff happens at weddings, and and I'm here to say, okay, let's adjust, let's get another game plan, and you know, or I know a vendor who can step in, or I can go make a recommendation, or just kind of have an outside perspective on something. Um, so again, that kind of eight months. Even 10 months is a really nice time Mm -hmm. um, because usually you have your venue picked out by then. The dress has started to kind of unfold. The bridal party starts forming. Mm -hmm. Family starts weighing in. Budgets, conversations start happening. So those are kind of within that time frame um, that 10 to 8 months is really Mm -hmm. ideal because then we can really start a practice and a mantra and a and a dialogue and a familiarity with one another yeah. so that I can really support them when decisions need to be made on the fly and things need to happen or things need to shift or however I can support them. Yeah. So what is... Um,
0: is there anything you, you want our listeners to know, whether it be about Bright eyed or whether it be about
1: Courageous Cleanse, just to, like, cap us off? I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about empowering women and... I get really excited and giddy to witness transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel privileged to have started a business that really touches people's lives in a unique way, um, share my experience in a way that is vulnerable um, and that if my vulnerability can help someone else get there, like, that that is important to me. Yeah. Um, but really that like, you know, I just feel like I get to witness this growth of another person is, is a privilege. So, you know, the thing that I want to know is at the moment I'm taking on new clients, um, you know, this, the, this is wedding, tis wedding season. Sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's wedding season. Um, again, I'm just, you know, here to be of service and that's really my ultimate kind of goal is just to help women be, you know, the best selves that they can be.
0: Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Do you know any trailblazing females that you think we should be featuring? Send us an email at femt at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-M-E-T-E-E at gmail.com. As always, thank you for your support as we strive to promote the growth of diverse women in all industries. Hashtag Get Femmed.